Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 264 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Oh. And as a special treat, we have Alexis Gallagher back on the show from Seattle, sorry, <laughs> from San Francisco, California. That's right, it's San Francisco. <laughs> Hello everybody. And the rice and treats, for sure. See Tim, you made Alrighty. it to the opening without stumbling, so you had to you had to trip up on something. Yes, that's true, that's true. Yeah, I, I, usually, I usually get a lot of false starts on the very beginning, Alexis, so that's what he's talking about. All right. Um, so yeah, Jaime's not here, so I'll do the uh, the um, the Ask MTJC stuff. And so we have, uh, oh, what a surprise. It's from Jaime Lopez Jr. himself. Uh, we were talking last week about the Apple Card, and we were joking, I was joking about the fact that you could have Apple Card socks, which they, they did they made for one of the iPad, iPods uh, back in the day to protect them because they kept getting scratched. So somebody's posted, Ethan Hunt has posted on Twitter uh, that Apple is definitely launching Apple socks. I don't know if this is real, but this is a picture I, of I don't uh, think it's real. A card stuffed in a sock, yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, yes, especially given that price tag, ninety nine bucks. It is Apple, but yeah. that's yeah, pretty yeah. high for that's, a sock. That's true. Well, the, you know, it's funny though. But I did find for the last week's episode, I did find a, a package of the iPod socks that they made back in the day, and they used to sell you all four of them. Like you, you wouldn't, you'd get like a you know blue one or a green one, uh, and it was even a, a YouTube video on how to knit your own socks, right? Yeah. So for, for these things, so uh, so it is, it is kind of, but but that was ninety nine dollars, and it was like all, but you got all four socks, right? And then what do you do with the other three? Throw them out, you know, like, or give them Buy to more your iPods. relatives? Buy three more iPods. Yeah, maybe, That's clearly what they're maybe. hoping. It's like, uh, you know, the reason you can never get the same number of burger patties is burger buns. That way you're, like, never done eating burgers at any point right. in your life. Like, it's the same, oh, same plan. That's true, yeah. Yeah, that, that is pretty pretty sneaky. Pretty sneaky. All right. Um, so, yeah, I, I should have re- re- reviewed these before we started, but here, so I posted an article here from 9to5Mac about the rumored iPhone 11 features that people are most excited about. And as I open it, and I'll, um, I don't know if you guys have a chance to look at this stuff and, and have any thoughts on what was what could possibly come in the, the iPhone 11 as it gets iPhone 11 Pro, excuse me, as it gets uh, rolled out. I heard 
somewhere somebody was saying today that might even support the pencil. Hmm. It's kind of odd. I think that would be a pretty cool thing. I mean, it, it sort of harkens back to the old Palm Pilot days when you could actually take notes on your on your uh, mm. your assistant, right? But we've we've never really had that with an with an iPhone. So I yeah, think it could be kind of a Steve cool Jobs thing. Steve Jobs had ten styluses already, right? I yeah, think I like, like the that. pencil too. Yeah. I mean, I use the pencil all the time for the iPad, so I think there have been times where I'm holding my iPhone. I think it would be nice if I could make a little diagram here, but it's sure you know I can understand why it's not the first thing they'd work on. Hmm. So some of the things they have in in the poll here: bilateral wireless charging, which I talked about last week, where you could you could I guess you could share your charge with another phone or even charge your own your uh, wireless AirPods, right? That seems uh, kind of marginal, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, and, and it sounds like a lot of effort, but I guess, but but doesn't one of the Samsung phones do that? Like uh, you can put them back to back and share a charge. Yeah, for that reason, and and also the second one, I think for the same reason, because the Samsung phones like made a big deal about it that it will mm. it will most likely show up. Yeah, I don't know. Apple's I'm really finding with the the iPhone XS that I have got the the camera is amazing on it, like 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 way better than the 10, and that's not even the Max. It's just a regular plain old ordinary uh, iPhone XS, right? Um, A13 processor, that's a no brainer. Everybody mm-hmm. probably see that one coming, right? Matte finish. I don't know if that's really important. Yeah, I'm kind of mad on that one. I feel, yeah. kind of, I feel kind of like an idiot, though, when I look at this list. When I look at this list, the matte finish kind of jumps out at me because I can imagine thinking, eh, meh, now. But then if you actually put it in front of me, I'd say, oh, maybe it is time to buy a new iPhone. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it looked like matte in some, like, interesting, cool way. What about the angle face idea? That's something I want because I'm I'm really annoyed that, like, if you've got your cam- your phone in landscape mode, you have to turn it to portrait to do face ID. And mm. my, and you can do that on the iPads. I think the new iPads support multi multiple angles. And being to have it flat on the table and and uh, you know wake it up without having to lift it to, to look at your face, right? That's a couple of extra clicks. You know what I mean by that? By when I say that, like it's, it's too many too many steps to do something simple. Yeah, yeah, I can see that making a difference. I mean, one of the reasons I haven't upgraded to one of the newer iPhones is because I still like the Touch ID. I feel like it works really fast. Oh, yeah? it works fine. I've got the new iPad Pro and I like it, but I haven't felt like Face ID is clearly an upgrade over Touch ID. Uh, or just I love day-to-day. Face ID. I, I kind of feel like an animal if I have to use Touch ID these days. <laughs> really? Or even into your Pasco, eh? Yeah. yeah. I look at the, the Android guys that, that I work with and, you know, them putting in their fingerprints and I just scoff. <laughs> yeah. Or the ones that have to swipe to, to do their right. entry or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. Nine, nine times out of ten, I have to enter my key, my passcode anyway, because I guess because the angle of my phone's at, right? So. No, really? I, I pretty much never do. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. It happens a lot. Yeah. Mind you, I share phones with Carol, so we, we don't have each other's faces saved, as it were right mm. so yeah mm. but it's and we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that if they do the through the L, LED um, fingerprint detection they may not need face ID going forward right well it's true possible yeah that would be amazing that's hard to imagine though yeah these are interesting realistic renderings I don't know if you looked at the image of, of what they think the, the triple camera display on the back is going to look like but uh, I don't well, know where, where are you looking something. this is on the image the uh, poll rumored iPhone 11 link oh yeah. yeah yeah at the top they've got a sort of somebody's done an artistic rendering of what the the square thing will look like, mm. but uh, I don't know. I, I have a feeling Apple will do something completely different than this. Although I'm not mind you, I guess I guess they've had some rumored cases leak out, right, or backs or whatever from the Chinese uh, manufacturing places. That's must be where these are coming from. Do you feel like any of these features jumps out? I mean, I know it's sort of a kind of perennial topic. We have this feeling that uh, the newer features that come out in the new iPhones are l- somewhat less dramatic than they used to be. Mm-hmm. And I don't well, know if these just... predictions are pretty pedestrian, right? Yeah, kind of. So it makes me 
me wonder, is that because we've become like jaded and familiar with these things and it's in it, or is it because it's harder to come up with big, big blockbuster features or is it because there's something coming that, you know, is hard to anticipate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of suspect we've, we're, we're reaching the, the limits on just what you can do with a phone that is new and exciting. Uh, but of course, every time I say that they come up with something new, so I'm, I'm probably wrong, yeah. but, but that's my suspicion. But they do seem to be playing leapfrog with, with Samsung, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, the, like Samsung will, will eclipse them and then they, they come up with something that Samsung hadn't thought about and, you know, but it's like leaked Hollywood plots. They seem to, they seem to cover the same sort of stories over and over again between the two. Yeah. No. There's definitely nothing on, on this list that would make me run out and buy a new phone if I didn't need one. No, no, no. I mean, well, pencil support would probably be the only thing, but, but they, again, that's not like a super seller for me either, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, let's follow up on, on the Apple card, which, you know, um, some people have been talking about it. Uh, apparently it's painted. Is it sort of got a whitish look to it, Mark? It does. Yeah. Like, it says it's painted. It's actually not pure titanium. It's like it's, it's, it's got a, a coating on it, right? It does have a coating. I don't know if it's painted or if it's some kind of alloy. I, I don't know, but uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. got kind of a white uh, sort of, it's not really glossy. It's sort of matte finish on mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it almost has a kind of a, a ceramic look to it. It doesn't feel like it, but it almost has a look that look, kind of that, you know, whitish kind of look. Is it super light? Does it feel lighter than a piece of plastic or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's lighter. I mean, plastic credit cards are pretty light too, so it's hard to really hard to tell. I, I don't notice it being that much lighter than a regular credit card. Do you find yourself just sort of holding it and kind of gently stroking it against your cheek, kind of admiring <laughs> the like, beauty of this physical I, object? I, I do find delivered. myself looking at the, at the color in my wallet app. You know, the color, because it is it does change over time. It kind of moves around a little bit. I find myself staring. Yeah. I, I have uh, yet to lay hands on one of these things. I, I think I probably will end up getting one because uh, I'm interested to see how good a job Apple does with the UI around transaction tracking and categorization, since I'd like to be a bit more organized about that. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I think about it, like the card doesn't have a number on it and it has, it has a pin chip, right? But it, does it have a, right. does it have a magnetic swipe as well? I think you could swipe it, although I tried once and it, and it rejected it. So uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if that was just the particular machine or if, if I was just being stupid and sticking my card into something when it's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Right. Does it have a magnetic strip on the back? It has a thing that looks kind of like a strip, although, like okay. I said, I can't actually prove that it, that it is one yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really systematically tried this yet, so I don't know for sure. You know, I use Apple Pay. I've, uh, the only, I've only tried this once because it was a place where they just didn't take Apple Pay, and I wanted to see if it worked. Gotcha, gotcha. So I, I posted this link here because they're talking about, you know, people uh, scanning with electron microscopes to find out what the ma- what the makeup of it is. And actually, there's another poster that I didn't put here where somebody's actually scraped the paint off the front of his card, so he's got a pure titanium card le- left over with the, with the Apple etched in it, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's lost his name and all that kind of stuff. And, and to show that it actually is, that's why I, I mentioned about the, the sort of white sort of coating on the front of it, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a little suspicious about the electron microscope one, though, uh, because because in the article, they say it, they use a scanning electron microscope instead of sure. a transmission electron microscope, which are very different things. And mm-hmm. uh, SEMs are used more for looking at surface morphologies as opposed to chemical composition of things. Mm. So it seems kind of kind of a strange error to make. Um, but I mean, anything's possible. I guess maybe, you know, maybe they can look at the surface and, and from the topology they can tell. Oh, no, uh, no pun intended there, uh, Alexis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they can look at the surface. Maybe they can look at the surface and, fi- and see that that's titanium. 
titanium, but if it's covered with, with this, you know, with this, uh, paint or alloy or whatever it is, then they wouldn't see that. So uh, I'm a little confused, uh, but mm. who knows? Well, I mean, it's so rare that you get an opportunity to deploy nuanced knowledge of electron microscopes when discussing like uh, Apple financial it is, products. I, I, I it, is rare, is, it is rare. It is rare. And that's why I do it every moment. chance I get. <laughs> yeah. The thing I wonder about is like, I use Apple Pay every opportunity I get because I, mm-hmm. I like the feeling of safety and I like the convenience. And I guess I'm an Apple fanboy, but I just also, I've, I tend to forget my wallet and then I sometimes find myself walking around with only my phone. So I just use Apple Pay and then I have um, a smart lock to get in and out of my house uh, ridiculously. Um, but then on the situations where I can't use Apple Pay, I, I wonder would this card work in all those situations? Because it doesn't have a number like printed on it, right? So right. It's, it's not a foolproof, you know, this is the backwards technology you can use if you need to. It's like only if the mag stripe and all that works, which I guess it usually does. Yeah, I have one other card, which is sort of an interesting material. It's a card a lot of people have. I think it's the Chase Sapphire Visa. And it feels a little like heavier and thicker or more metallic than other credit cards, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But it also means that it, I notice it works less frequently <laughs> with oh, basic vending vending machines where you need to like stick in the card to like pay a parking ticket or, or, or for like you know, in a parking lot. So I, I kind of worry when I notice that this card is so interesting in its physical design and doesn't have a number on it. Is, is that going to mean that you'll only be able to use it in places you could probably use Apple Pay anyway? But I'm being pessimistic. I'm sure I'll get it and admire it and like gently rub it on my cheek like you do, Mark. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I so the question I have, so what if you're buying something online and they want you to enter a credit card number? What do you yeah. do in that case? So you just, I, I've you done don't that. Buy stuff so, or? no, oh. you have to use your app, your wallet app, and if you tap on the information button on your uh, Apple Pay version of the card, uh, it flips over and it gives you the number to type in. Oh, okay, okay. But you only get or... 1% back if you do that. Right, right. Which leads us to our next topic, which is really interesting, mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. uh, why you're only getting 1% back on your Apple card is the, is the title of this article. Um, and here's why it says, but, uh, yeah, it has to do with, and in, again, I think we've talked about this on the show and I, I would be surprised if people didn't know this, that, uh, yeah, if you're buying stuff uh, with, if you're using the physical card, you're only getting 1% back on your cashback, on your, uh, your Apple, what do you call that? Apple pay? What do you call the Apple money thing that they have? Uh, daily cash. Daily cash. Okay. Daily cash. Um, and if you want to get the 3%, you have to, you have to be buying something from Apple, right? Right. right? Mm-hmm. With the Apple card. But it, I think is it is a digital purchase not with the physical card oh mind you i guess it's different when you go into the store they can probably yeah i don't i don't know what happens if you walk into an apple store with your physical card and try to buy something mm-hmm. i don't know what mm-hmm. they give you back well you should be using the apple apple store app when you buy stuff in the store right sure. probably frown yeah. at you like why aren't you yeah. why are you using this we're in the future here yeah <laughs> what is the money you speak of exactly i can see how this idea that i'm gonna get three percent back would cause me to go and like spend an extra thousand dollars i wouldn't have bought otherwise oh, really? <laughs> thinking, like, oh i'm gonna save $30 on this $1,000 thing I didn't need. Yeah, well, it's three, it is a 3% discount when you think about it, I guess, right? Yeah, no, Which is, nobody gets that unless they're corporate or, or you know, well, they're buying lots of Macs, right? I can tell you as a reseller, I would be, I would, I would have been delighted if I got 3% back on most deals, right? So, yeah. Mark, if you have it, how do you find the software that shows information about transactions? Uh, do you feel like it does a better job of categorizing and presenting a nice UI for that stuff? Because I've, uh, you know, interacted with some different personal finance apps and I'm generally not blown away by that. Seems yeah, like I, I think it's good. It, it, it's fine. Uh, so when you open your wallet app and you go to the go to the actual card in your wallet, there's a there's a screen that pops up that shows you your balance and uh, you know when the payment is due and it shows a nice colorful image of the card. And then underneath it, there's a latest tra- transaction section, which is 
basically a you know UI table view uh, mm-hmm. with an entry for everything that you've bought with a with a, a drill down that you can go into a detail view for each one, and that's kind of nice. Uh, I'm looking at Safeway right now. It's got a nice picture of it looks like a piece of pizza. I don't know why Safeway would have a piece of pizza, but it does. Uh, and it's got the logo of Safeway, and it's got a map of where I actually bought the thing. And then uh, oh, that's that's actually interesting. It's so even though I drilled down into a particular transaction for Safeway, it's showing me all my transactions for Safeway. That's kind of nice. That's nice. So you're getting an implicit query over all of the, that counterparty. Yeah, yeah. Does it categorize yeah. it into like dining out and transportation? Food yeah. And so how much money so you're the, spending on Uber plus Lyft plus the yeah. Plus? The, the colors are uh, the colors are determined by the category. So I've pretty much only used it for food so far. So everything I have is orange, uh, and it does show those in the category list with. Um, it looks like there's sort of a, uh, a few different types of icons. Uh, like there's one restaurant just has a little fork and knife and there's a supermarket that has a little basket. Uh, but things like Safeway and BevMo, things that have their own logo actually aren't color coded. That's kind of interesting. It's, it's just the logo of the venue or the store on a white background. So those kind of break the mode a little bit of the color coding. But other than that, it's good. Can you export? I mean, this is pretty nerdy, so maybe they wouldn't provide this. But do, can yeah, you export I, to I, CSV? I don't see a way of exporting from the app. No, I'm kind of looking for that now. Hold on, maybe under the more button here. If it's not in the app, where is it going to be? Right, I, I can't imagine. I, yeah, Apple it's not a good question. Yeah. Or running a website where you go and see a kind of not so great like web page full of transaction info. Yeah. I was going through um, accounts recently, uh, looking at my bank's transaction logs, and I realized that some of them were full of information like the the slug line of the description would say you know uber this or such and such restaurant but then some of them would just say like transaction debit like whatever and i need to go into the details area to see the Mm. actual company that i was doing business with and when i exported the csv it wouldn't export those details it only showed the like top level title of the thing and as i was thinking about it i realized this is completely useless to me because i I don't want to deal with your website i I want a damn csv file so i can load it into excel and figure stuff out And, and i found myself thinking i need to figure out what causes a transaction to not have the information available on the surface and then never do those again. Like I never want to do any debits with this card if this is if this is what it looks like. So this this little stuff ends up mattering if you decide you want to try to keep better track of things. Okay, so I did find it. So if you tap on your total balance takes you to a screen with with a bunch of information about your balance and uh, has a statements list. You can tap on a monthly statement, which gives you just the the basic, you know, how much you spent and and the the balance. Uh, But there's a download PDF statement uh, link on that screen. If you tap on that, it actually downloads a nice PDF like you would get from a regular credit card company. So it's a few tabs, but but it is in there. It's great. Yeah. It's pretty nice. I I recommend getting it. I mean, especially since it's kind of free, right? Might as well. Mm. Well, not free once you use it, but it's free to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's free to get the titanium thing too, which is right. on obtainium. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. All right. So, wh- what did you have to do? Like, to, to when you signed up, did you say yes, send me a physical card as well? Or yeah, there was a there was a checkbox to get the physical card. That's it. Right, right. Yeah. And who would? And do that, right? they already had my address because I you know had to type in my Apple ID. So at some point, sure, so, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. cool. righty. Um, so let's move on to our next uh, subject here, which is our friends over at Facebook once again. So this is actually our WFDU, WTFDU. I no, can't remember how it has it go. WTFU. Yeah, follow up. Right. So go ahead, hit us, Mark. Well, once again, you know, it's almost not even worth mentioning. 
kind of stuff anymore, but, but we've been good about doing it every time. So, so once again, uh, Facebook has had a security breach and a leak, a leak, uh, hundreds of millions of phone numbers linked to Facebook accounts, uh, were found unencrypted somewhere online. Uh, it looks the, the article, this TechCrunch article that we'll have a link to in the notes says the exposed server contained more than 419 million records over several databases on users across geographies, including 133 million in the U.S., 18 million in the U.K., uh, 50 million in Vietnam, uh, and uh, and various other places. So, yeah, no sh- no real shock here, but just goes to show. Be as we say every time: be careful with your with your data. 133 million in the U.S. So that's basically more than a third of the population of the U.S. Yep. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> not a small problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I no wonder now. I wonder why I keep getting all these spam calls. I probably get three or four spam calls a day just from various, uh, you know, and they're all speaking in, in foreign foreign tongues, so I have no idea what they're saying unless I have a friend who speaks that language, right? Mm. But, uh, it's super annoying. And so I've, I've, I'm now using the iOS 13 beta um, on here, and, and I can have it automatically send rec- numbers I don't recognize to voicemail, which is great 90% of the time, you know, because 5 to 10% of the time I'm actually getting a phone call I actually do want to get, but the phone doesn't even ring. It just goes right to voicemail. And then, of course, people who know that I don't, you know, I'm screening won't leave a voicemail. So it's really annoying. It's very yeah. hard to whitelist. I wish I wish it were a lot easier to just say I only want the phone to ring for these numbers and not for anyone uh-huh. else. Well, that's what it does. So so if you if it's if you're if the person's in your contacts, then the phone will ring. But the other day I had to get a, a call from from somebody had given my number to somebody who was delivering something to my house, and we missed the the call because my phone didn't even ring. And then I tried to explain to the people what the situation was. They they flipped out on me about like what am I complaining about? I'm like I'm just trying to tell you that I can't receive calls from people that I don't know, right? Anyway, so I changed my voicemail. It says, if you're a Chinese spammer, this is for you. So, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, how did you set that up? Is that, is that a configuration? It's part of iOS 13. Like, ah, you, you just okay. go in and you just say, um, unrecognized phone calls, just send them to voicemail. Okay, that sounds... In the settings. Let me have I a look I here. I forgot about that. That sounds great. That makes me want to update it on my carry phone right away. Because I was messing around with really weird extension apps where you need to specify, you know, a range of numbers that you were blocking. And I basically wanted to block everything in my area code, but you yeah. can't do that with yeah. one blocker. So I'd like build this like set of like 10 blockers that added up to everything in my area code. It didn't really work. It was a mess. So there's a setting here called silence, call silencing and blocked contact. So you can block specific people, but uh, calls from unknown numbers will be silenced, sent to voicemail and displayed on the receipts list and or, or recent list. And uh, incoming calls will continue to ring pe- from people in your contacts and recent outgoing calls uh, and Siri suggestions. You want to hear an idea I've had lately? Sort of, you could use this for phone calls, but I've been thinking of it with respect to email. And the idea, I'm sure someone else has thought of this before, is like digital stamps. Like, let's mm-hmm. say every, if every time you needed to send someone an email, you needed to pay a dollar. Like, yeah. You'd probably mm-hmm. get a lot less spam, right? Um, mm. People would only send you a message if they really needed to, or if they needed to get you on the phone to make your phone ring, they needed to send you a dollar. So I was thinking about setting up an email inbox, which I would sort of put my hand on my heart and swear to check regularly, much better than I do my normal email inbox. But in order to just like put a message there, you need to like pay a dollar and then it like goes to a charity or whatever. Um, uh-huh. And obviously this would be an incredibly innoxious thing to do, but it would solve the core problem of email, which is that it's like completely free to send, but then expensive to process. Uh-huh. And yeah. then like, it wouldn't be effective for spam because spam is not cost effective. If it costs a dollar to send it, the reason we get all this terrible spam is because it costs, you know, mil- yeah. millicents or, or something to like send it. So 10 years ago, I used to run my own mail servers, right? Because mm-hmm. I was back in the IT days, right? And 98% of the mail that hit the mail servers 10 years ago was spam, yeah. right? And, uh, and, and so most 
your processor time on a mail server is going into just filtering out spam. But I don't think you understand the scope of, of spam email. I think that they would pay the dollar. Really? Like, yeah, there's there's that much opportunity to make money, to milk, to, to bilk people out of their money that will are foolish enough to click on these links and, you know, ex, you know get exploited. I think I think you'd, you'd probably drop off like like typically 33% of the people would, would, would get out of the game. But, but the, the if serious were, market... If it, were a, if it were a dollar, I think that would keep most people out. But if it were a penny, I think you're right, Tim, that it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't stop anyone. Because a dollar, I mean, well, if you got to... You got to send out, you know, a million of these things to to get, mm-hmm. you know, five people to respond, right? So, so a buck would be pretty pretty high, but but yeah, for a penny. Sure. But there are entire industries behind spamming and, and call centers and all that kind of stuff. It's it's not a small problem. Yeah, it's not a small problem. But I'm, I'm saying the essence of the problem is that it's cheap to send stuff, right? Yeah, so like, free. let's say it yeah. was well, a dollar yeah. to send a message, and you were trying to spam people who had these dollar boxes. So say you want to call it that, right? Yeah. Then yeah. if you send out to a million people, that's a million dollars you're out of and that's only gonna yeah. make that's only gonna pay for itself if you think that of those million people you know let's say 10 of them are gonna respond i don't know uh, and they're gonna ma- earn you what a hundred thousand dollars each before you break even that, that seems like a stretch like you're not making that much money from people who follow up on spam i guess if you're doing like really targeted wicked phishing stuff then it might be useful but that's kind of a different problem like our our email boxes are not full of like carefully crafted like psychological harpooning at least mine mine aren't <laughs> that's for sure it's it's all just you know randomness yeah yeah it's actually it's actually a lot less like i think probably i think it's less than one percent of people respond respond to these campaigns and it gets just, right it's so they make it up in volume carry on yeah yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean they're you know the four million what we were talking 130 million phone numbers yeah that's the kind of stuff that they go after they buy those lists and then and then they just have at you and we know about these ones that we've been reporting for the last you know four or five episodes but like they're ones we don't know about that have been exploited right yeah speaking of that another thing i'd, I'd like to see a Along these lines is phone calls should be digitally signed now so you you really yeah, know who's calling point. you there's yeah. there's this one scam that's going on now you, you guys probably get it too where where they somehow spoof the phone number to use your local prefix yeah that's why so, right. so it looks like a very familiar prefix. yeah yeah so it's not just the area code but the actual you know the first three numbers of your phone number so it looks like it's someone mm. in your neighborhood who's calling you mm. yeah which you know at, at the beginning i was much more likely to pick it up is it is it my neighbor is there an emergency or something and i pick it up and no it's the same you know carpet cleaning guy who has been spamming me for years i don't think this is an original prediction but i think we're going to see a, a lot more stuff getting digitally signed in one way or another uh, in the future <laughs> well right? i mean that's why we've gone to this you know using digital signatures on websites and stuff like that now right and mm-hmm. apple even safari is making it like you really have to want to click on a website if it's not you know using https protocol right but like, i think especially on the phone photographs as well yeah and, yep. and yep. media right yeah to counteract the ability to do deep fakes and other kinds of um, yeah and, yeah and dna yeah. strings dna sequences attached to the email yeah <laughs> gotta do something about it getting more cyberpunk every day isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. well speaking of uh, uh ios beta uh so we mentioned last week that uh, uh ios 13.1 was released and today they released ios 13.1 beta 2 uh what's interesting the reason i you know i would have i would have just let this one go but what I, I did have a quick look at the article and it does say that uh they're they're predicting here at uh, nine to five mac that um Apple will release 13, play, like plain iOS 13, and the 13.1 stuff is going to be features that are coming later, things that they've taken out of iOS 13 that they, they talked about, like uh, Siri shortcut anima- shortcut animations and other things, ETA sharing on maps, that kind of stuff might come back and has, has been put back into 13.1, but they may not release with the original 13. So we were kind of wondering last week,
week, I think, whether they're just going to skip 13, right, Mark? Yeah, we were talking about that. I, I never, I don't think they're going to skip 13. I think it's going to come out. That seems impossible. They're not going to skip yeah. 13. Yeah. They've yeah. got like a fully baked 13, and then they've got other stuff that, that didn't make it out the door. And so mm-hmm. they're still cooking that, and they're calling it a beta because it's a beta. But like the 13, what is it, beta 8 is probably pretty close to the GM, and the 13.1 is going to be, you know, ragged Hot and rough whatever, until it yeah. stabilizes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. There's a little bit of, a uh, little bit of, I don't think we were quite clear on what the intention was last week. So that's why I posted this in here for the people to read on their way home as they're driving around at home. All right. Do you guys uh, like so live with the betas? Do you like uh, get a beta at dub dub and then just like, no, oh, your, your you know, it's work? funny because I made the mistake of foolishly sticking the beta on my phone and I've, I've, I've been having problems with it ever since. Not the beta itself, but, but certain security, security policies I have to deal with and stuff like that. And, and, uh, yeah, I usually don't put betas on. I put them, I have an iPad here that I'll put, I'll put the beta on. Um, but yeah, my phone, I'm, I'm really regretting getting into the thing. I think I have to revoke the certificate before it ships, right? The 13 to get back to normal. But yeah, I've, I haven't been able to downgrade back to a 12 either. So well, I feel embarrassed to admit it because like, I guess like it's my it's my business, so I should. But I, I never run betas on like actual devices I depend on for development or for... Yeah, we, we yeah have I don't need that. We have things that yeah. have betas for, for testing, of course, because you know you're going to need to support it pretty soon. But I just have these nightmares of having a lot of iCloud data get like scrambled or having to you know, like, be able to do something like get on a VPN and I can't do it because they never got around to, you know, baking up the finishing the VPN, some more esoteric features. If you think about it, there's a spectrum. On one end is like, I download the beta as soon as possible and I live with it. And then there's the, I wait till the first release. But then at the other level, you have the, no, 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 I wait for the first point release. I'm going to wait till 13.1 mm. is released before I update mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. you know, 12.4.2. Yeah, that time is approach, I right? I guess I'm in the middle, right? <laughs> yeah, I usually, I usually wait a bit of time before and, and never on my, my main device. But yeah, it's uh, I'm not living and dying by my phone these days. So other than the fact that it is my main communication device and tool and things, but yeah, I, I, I have regretted putting it on. But uh, but that said, I have also had the advantage of being able to have a quick look at these new features that are coming yeah, up, like fun. ball blocking and, and dark mode. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to dark mode. I can't I can't believe I'm saying that. Those words are coming out of my mouth. Mm. Do you use yeah, it at, dark mode at night my, for reading or you just like it all the time for being awesome? All the time. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I have my, my MacBook Air. I have a, a 11-inch MacBook Air, which has the betas on it for playing with Swift UI and stuff like that. And uh, the last time I was uh, reinstalling it, I, I set it to automatically to switch from, from day mode to dark mode based on the time of day. And that's kind of interesting too. Hmm. So yeah, so it goes into dark mode at night, but the phone is dark mode all the time kind of thing. And it's, it's sort of, you know, so it's kind of shocking when you open up a, like I have a white colored desktop, which is kind of, or springboard, it's kind of uh, silly considering I have it on dark mode. But yeah, it's getting used to reading the mail and, and some things don't work. Like you, you'll get an attachment or whatever that all of a sudden is, is not set to what to dark mode and that kind of stuff, right? So uh, we were looking at a hipster um, website last week, and they've they're detecting whether your Mac is on dark mode or not, and they're switching their their CSS based on whether you're using a dark mode device or a capable device. Uh, so. Of course, there those guys know what they're doing. Yeah, they're way gals. ahead of the curve. Yeah. What about the um, Mac betas? Do you ever like live off a of Mac beta? Uh, no, I, not on my main machine, but like I, I like I have I have the advantage of having multiple Macs, so so I had I do have the smaller Mac that I always put the beta on, but then play around with that, right? So I'm glad because otherwise I wouldn't have, I, I would be killing me to, to not try Swift UI. I think like at WWDC, by the Wednesday, I had put the beta on the, the Mac, right? Yeah, so. I put it on a separate volume, which was a little, a little yeah, awkward, but yeah. Then, well, then with that APFS, uh, new APFS uh, scheme, you can do that, right? But um, and I've had a few few bugs with it, but yeah, it's been been pretty solid and you know fun, you know. Mind you, the 11 is the 11 inch MacBook Air is really slow for Swift UI rendering, but mm. yeah, so I'm sure if I had a 
faster machine, it would be it would be great. But you know, but it's it's a sacrificial lamb, right? It's, yeah, that's my look not- feeling on it. I feel like the only people who should be running betas or who to do run betas are like Apple engineers who have to, and then people mm-hmm. who have like maybe a lot of time on their hands and they can afford to have things break. But if you're actually trying to get stuff done, like you need your computer to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I would never, I wouldn't put it on my main machine for sure. But yeah, it's been uh, been interesting to do it. Yeah, or like you said, put it on a separate uh, hard drive or, or an APFS volume to keep it separated. Right. All right. Um, so uh, yeah. So the next thing to talk about here is that, again, the story came out I think two days ago uh, about the Apple glasses. And I I'd seen posts about Apple glasses and I kind of took them semi seriously because um, why would uh, after after the Google Glass you know kind of uh, died a horrible death last 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 year I guess right um, Apple glasses and it turns out that it seems it's more to than be, a year ago wasn't it. Yeah, it was a while ago. But the, ago, the yeah. um, Apple glasses isn't what you think it is. It seems to be a, a like a code name for tracking or like a, there's their own sort of tag stuff, right? I don't know if you had a chance to look at the article, but it's um, it's more about tracking, similar to tile, how Tile does stuff, where you can attach devices and create, create sort of using the Find My, you know, iPhone, Find My Mac kind of paradigm to find things in your house, like your keys and your, your purse and your, you know, whatever whatever valuable thing you have. So, the, so the, yeah, are the, these the things article, connected? I thought they were different. No, they're two separate things in the article. Yeah, yeah. The, so Apple is putting together a a kind of a tile, com, you know, competitor uh, that will probably put tile out of business. Uh, sorry, guys, a tile. Uh, and then separately, they're they're talking about the Apple glasses, which is a, you know the the stereo AR experience. Oh, is it okay? I thought it was something yeah. to do with, the, with the tracking thing. No, okay. it's just two sections of an article. I, yeah. I, you know, the moment Apple comes out with trackers, I'm going to like buy three or four of them because I've been using tiles and my wife and I've been using tiles for three or four years mm-hmm. and which so I've got tiles on my keys tile in the wallet tile somewhere else I don't know somewhere in the car somewhere I think and the what's and so and you know they, they last about a year so then I buy a new one I've been doing it for like three or four years what's strange is that I keep buying them even though they don't reliably work like they work huh. like half the time you know um, and then the other half of the time you know the battery's good I'm running the app and it says it's not there and, it, and it's like right there but, so why do I keep yeah. using it I think it's just because the half the time that it does work, it, it, it's a lifesaver. Like if you feel like you're running out the door and you can't find your keys, that's mm-hmm. when, you know, being able to find something in like one minute versus like 20 minutes can suddenly feel like, yeah, that, that's worth a lot if it's important. Mm-hmm. But then the thing I wonder about is, does it actually make the problem worse for me, right? Because you start being less careful with your keys because you think like, oh, mm-hmm. I can use the tiles. So there's some, yeah, right. there's <laughs> some like spectrum where if they were 100%, if it was 100% reliable, it would be a pure win because then I'd never lose anything and I could beep it, right? Mm-hmm. And if it were totally unreliable, that would be good too. Because then hopefully I would just develop the habit of always putting my stuff in the right place. But it's in this sort of uncanny valley in between where it's good enough that I keep buying it and I and I like it when it works. But I wonder if I'm actually at a, I don't know, local minimum of this like curve I'm imagining of like utility, <laughs> you know, in the y-axis and reliability on the x-axis. But I have a suspicion that the reason the tile stuff has a hard time is because they need to keep using the app in the background in some way or another to do the Bluetooth connections. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just janky stuff. I mean, not that it's uh, necessarily their fault. I think all the Apple APIs that involve your app waking up in the background and doing something quickly, maybe when it gets a push notification or when a notification is scheduled, I've just found those to be like subtle and tricky and hard to debug. So I'm not surprised that it might be hard to get really stable behavior. Whereas if yeah. it's built into the system, because Apple's doing it, and then right. you've got like iOS devices lying everywhere because you're, you're a crazy iOS nerd household, then like it's, it's going to work quite well. 
well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the, the whole, I think Bluetooth is the mess, right? Because um, we had a friend who, uh, the original 360i dev who, who got into iBeacons and was the big iBeacon spokesperson and built a business around it. And it's been unreliable uh, for the most part, um, you know, in, in the times that I worked with iBeacon and that kind of stuff. And, and same thing with tiles. What, what annoys me most about tiles is, is I know the battery's still good and they're telling me that it's expired and doesn't want to work anymore. But um, I, unlike you, Alexis, our household, we do have tiles on everything, but we very rarely use them to find things because, you know, it's just it's just that just-in-case thing, right? You know? Yeah. I have a set of keys at work that I lend out to people when I'm when I'm away on vacation. I just want to know where those keys have gotten to, you know, if, if they're not uh, kept in the drawer that they're supposed to be kept in kind of thing. But uh, it's for peace of mind for me with tiles. Do you believe that it's reliable enough? Yeah. But if they don't work that often, then that's that's a problem. But, but one thing I've noticed over time, though, is they've, they've done this sort of crowdsourcing kind of tile finding this where, which I think is kind of cool. They're, they're using the other people's tile apps to find your keys for you. Like if like if your dog, if you want on your dog, your dog runs away, right? Um, you can use tile in the neighborhood to, to find out where your dog has run off to. Because I mean, it's such a cool idea, but does it work? Yeah. I don't know. My dog's never run away. Okay. <laughs> he knows where the food is, right? <laughs> what, what someone should do is when the Apple tracker thing comes out, just like attach a tile and an Apple tracker to a thing and it'll be pretty easy to look at performance. Right? Yeah. So yeah. if you're a journalist, just like take an object, stick stick both trackers on it. They both are going to do something like report when it was last noticed and just look at the results, you know, for, you know, a week later or a few days later, side by side, like how often check in every now and then, like which one is more current? Is this going to be a clear answer? Mm-hmm. So what do you think Apple Glasses is then? It, t- it talks about find my map and find my app in the, in the section on it, which is why I got confused about what the, the point of Apple Glasses is specifically. It's an AR, stereo AR thing, but... Well, it says it consists of support for a face-mounted AR experience, which can be compared to Google's Daydream. I don't know what that is, actually. Uh, and mm-hmm. has been internal testing with support for two Apple devices codenamed Luck and Frank, and the third-party device Holokit. Doesn't say much more than that. That's Google... Uh, Google's I don't know what Google da- Google's Daydream is. It rings a bell. Maybe it's like one of the Google um, AR, AR, AR VR goggles. Hmm. Yeah. The virtual reality platform developed by Google is built on Android mobile operating system. Well, that makes perfect. Mm-hmm. So the thing I wonder about this is obviously they're, they've been working on, uh, I think it's pretty clear they're, they're definitely doing you know significant research and maybe they're pretty far down the road to having a product of some kind of glasses. But the real question is why? Because one of the things that distinguishes Apple is they do a good job of thinking through, is there actually a product here? Like, what's the point? Like, what's the benefit this provides? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't expect, I'm sure Apple could come up with a pair of AR glasses, which is better than the ones that are out there right now, whether AR, whether it's like an improvement on the Google Glass thing or like full-on VR glasses. Apple definitely has the, you know, hardware, human-centered design, software, ecosystem, has, has all the pieces in place to do a good job with it. But then what does that get you? Like, what do you get when you've done a good job with it? I don't think people want to walk around with heads-up displays integrated in their glasses that much. Um, I mean, maybe if you do it really well, then there's something there, but it's not obvious to me. Like, I, I, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine what the first consumer use cases that they would really be pushing on. 
Like I can sort of unless see how you do it technically, gaming. right? Okay, but how much attention have they paid to gaming in the past? The, yeah, I mean, well, they've much. got this I mean, it, arcade thing coming out. That's true, actually. I mean, they have a huge gaming ecosystem, but it's kind of by accident, right? It's not because they've been carefully cultivating gaming and, and the platform is... I mean, what, they only supported normal game controllers like coming up now, like when they should have come out with that in the beginning. So you can imagine there'd be a new like iOS extension. Yeah, that's how it would be done, I guess, that would like maybe talk to your AR kit thing or your, it, it would run some variant of iOS and there would be another app store for it. And you'd be able to like go to this app store and download something that was installed on your VR or AR glasses and they'd get all the pieces working. But then my question is what? Like what's the thing that you'd put there? I, I don't yeah, know. To me, it, it, it feels a little bit like the Apple Watch and that they kind of built this replica of all the pieces of the ecosystem that work on iOS. And then maybe people discovered, okay, but we don't actually need most of that. That's not really what it's good for. And they, they sort of discovered what it is good for. But I'm not, a, maybe I'm just not in touch enough with the world of AR glasses to know, I mean, what are they really good for? Um, on a broad right. consumer basis, as opposed to like, mm-hmm. you know, special technical things like I'm a surgeon or I need instructions on how to fix a delicate piece of machinery that I don't deal with a lot, but that's sort of my job. So maybe AR is useful for that. Like what's the, what's the day-to-day use case? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit of an investment too. If you think about it, if you're, if you're putting on this device, you're, you're blinding yourself to the actual world and you're going into this VR experience. Same thing with like PlayStation VR and that kind of stuff, right? You're not, you're not paying attention to the surroundings that you're, you're actually in. You're, you're, sort of immersing yourself in this this other other worldly experience right well this is that this doesn't sound like AR. something apple would get into right it's not something i think apple would get into yeah augmented reality where right you want to see the world around you and and i mean early ar things i, I remember seeing was like i think yelp had a thing where you you could hold up your phone as you're standing on this busy downtown street and it would show you the restaurants around you with like you know metadata about them as you as you pivot your phone around in the real world right it would use the right you know, location and, and 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 that was an, an augmented experience like like having an overlay on your real world right but to be blunt like how good is that like if you were if i'm yeah. actually looking around like t- today my favorite chicken restaurant went out of business because the rent's too expensive down on valencia street so i was looking for other places to get chicken like and i was just looking on the map for like restaurants near me most kind of basic kind of primary maps use case it's just easier to look at it flat from above and figure it out and figure out how to do the yeah yeah like wh- have you, when you have, have, you have tried these- the new Popeye's chicken sandwich, by the way? No. Should I? More than just code, folks. Okay. okay. Uh, So Popeye's um, Popeye's has a new chicken sandwich that is supposed to be even better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. And uh, it's been sold out now for a while. Uh, I was underwhelmed by the Chick-fil-A sandwich. I have to sell you. you Really? Chick-fil-A makes a pretty good sandwich. I've been eating grilled chicken every lunch for the last month because I'm on a sort of a diet. And there was this great piri piri chicken place. I don't know if the Chick-fil-A hmm. or the Popeyes is uh, equivalent to my, my new abstemious self, but I'll, I'll check it out for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to derail the conversation, but that's what we do here. That's okay. More than just but yeah, forward. so like all those, those map things where you like hold it up and then there's this a lot of weird floating labels kind of in the distance with buildings in the way. It's not actually a clear view. It's actually worse. Now, yeah. let, let's say I had a good AR glasses thing and I could walk around and it would show me overlays that would tell me things about the environment or like give me another way for notifications to bother me. Uh, 
Um, could be good. I, I guess I need to see the use case. So Apple did have a demonstration game at WWDC where you held up an iPad and you played this sort of big giant virtual bowling thing where you and you competed against somebody else. Okay. And I can tell you that when you're in the game, um, you, even though you were you were in this in your surroundings and you could see through the iPad, you could see the the surroundings behind you. You were paying attention to that ball and you were paying paying attention to the pins and it kind of takes you out of your, your like it, it removes focus from where you really are. I, I just see a lot of pedestrians getting hit and bikes, you know, running over people and in, in our futures, if this is where we're going, right? Yeah, it's also somewhat out of step with the, with the times in the sense that I think we're in the middle of a counter reaction to, hey, don't always have your face in your phone. Don't say yes to every app that asks to show you notifications. I think people are building up antibodies around this stuff. Like my default is like, if I launch an app and the first thing it does is ask for notifications, that's a reason I should say no to it. Because like, obviously you oh, have no exactly. manners. Like the first thing you want to do is be able to bother me later. I don't, don't even know you. Of course not. Thank God we've got this sorted out. Um, and, you know, more stuff on your face, more stuff being like shoved into your brain that you didn't ask for. I don't think that's what people want. Uh, they want, I don't know, more engaged and thoughtful experiences. They want to be able to usually, find their This is usually where Apple's is pretty strong. Want. So I, I, this is why I don't think they would just put out AR glasses because they have the engineering kind of power and brains to do it. They do it because they thought of a good reason for it. And it's hard to believe the reasons gaming because, I mean, when, if, 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 if gaming were that important, they would have just taken care of the basics of gaming already. Yeah. But what if, what if the glasses would show you where your keys were just by looking through them? Yeah, yeah. That's well, coming back be, to what I thought it was originally, right? Yeah, yeah, That'd be right. amusing, but obviously, like, really, that doesn't help. Like, just make the <laughs> beep and then you can find it better. <laughs> I mean, the thing, I, the thing I'm wondering about, and I have no clear thought on how this would work, is if the murmurings we hear about Apple Glasses and the hints we hear that people might be working on it are in some way connected to the broader push for sensors that support AR on the iOS devices, right? Because mm-hmm. there's been this increasing push on ARKit, ARKit, ARKit 2.0, um, you know, put a depth sensor on the front. I think another item uh, maybe we'll talk about later is the idea that they're going to add depth sensors to the back or change. No, I think it. we should segue into that. That's how this works. Oh, is that what it's called? All right, let's do the yeah. segue, man. Yeah, for sure. You started it. Yeah, so so here I think uh, this other article that came up is about uh, 2020 iPad Pro said to feature 3D sensing rear cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, and the gist of that is uh, they're going to add new sensors to the rear of the iPad Pro, so so which would improve the AR kit experience. So right now my understanding is uh, you know the AR kit you get from the back of the iPad Pro is supported by light cameras and not a dedicated depth sensor sensing rig. So adding that would be new. And why would you do that? To get better performant AR, like higher spatial resolution of tracking of the environment, um, uh, better performance under a variety of light conditions. Like if you're just using visible light, for instance, and it's a dark room, you're going to do worse than if you have uh, a sensor that is also emitting light the eye can't see and using that to do the sensing. So just to continue the thought I had before, Apple's software stack is clearly developing to provide more and better support for AR. They're not messing around. They're adding good stuff and they're mm-hmm. putting these AR supporting features in the devices. And I'm obviously very interested in this because this is what we do at uh, my company, Topology, where we rely on, um, I mean, we use AR to sell custom glasses and we are increasingly relying on these sensors that Apple's putting in these devices. Like I can say more about that if people are curious, some stories that might be relevant to what we were discussing. But uh, besides selling custom glasses, like what are people actually using this functionality for? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I don't think there's a lot of retail that's actually using AR in a significant way. Well, there is some there is some fashion. I've seen some fashion stuff. There's a couple of companies here in in Toronto that you know you can stand in front of a mirror and and you can sort of try on an outfit kind of 
thing or try out a pair of shoes on and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, no, there's um, stuff like that. I'm I'm pretty familiar with it. It's hard though. Like, and the, I mean, I think mm-hmm. people talk about these things because they're impressive, not because they work super duper well, right? Like textiles right. and how um, textiles follow the contours of the body. Uh, you know, are under tension in some parts of the body, will kind of drape with gravity in other parts of, gra- of the body. This is a hard thing to do super well. That's why like all those Renaissance portrait paintings have all these fancy like velours and folds because the painter is showing off that they can handle like textiles well. So it, it, these are hard things to do. Um, and I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's a really obvious killer use case for AR that is being widely used, except obviously custom glasses, but you know, mm-hmm. besides that one. So I'm just kind of curious when I see Apple putting more and more muscle behind AR in the iOS hardware and in the iOS software. iOS hardware is like keys to the kingdom in terms of the company's profitability. And then they're also, then we also hear all these murmurings about AR glasses. I wonder if these things fit together in some way that we haven't anticipated. Maybe all the sensors and um, the ARKit software suite, the sensors and the iOS devices would work in tandem with some other product, maybe one that uh-huh. sat on your face or, uh, you know, worked with glasses in some way. And, and we're not seeing that because we haven't thought it through. So we imagine these are two separate products, but maybe there's a product that depend that leverages iOS rather than just being a new thing that Apple's able to do. That's an incredibly vague speculation because I obviously haven't figured out what it is, but I feel like that's one way to answer the puzzle of what's a meaningful product that they're doing here if it's not AR glasses because that's not such a huge thing. Is it something we mm-hmm. haven't imagined that leverages all this uh, AR kit hardware they're putting into iOS devices and lets you have an experience that extends beyond the device but uses the device somehow? Well, I have to say, wait and see. I mean, I, there was a guy I know who said, I don't know why Apple would ever make a phone and, uh, you know, and then anticipated waiting for, waiting for the, the, the tablet to come along and, and it finally did. And, you know, it's, it's been amazing. Those two products, you know, in terms of what, what Apple did with them that we weren't anticipating. We didn't even see it coming, you know, kind of thing, right? Well, I don't know. I think every, I think a lot of knowledgeable, not that this fellow wasn't knowledgeable, but I think a lot of knowledgeable observers thought if Apple did a phone, they could do it a lot better than other people because they'd understand mm-hmm. UI and look at this junk that's out there. I mean, that by wasn't... Way, that was autobiographical, by the way. Uh, oh, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mark knew. <laughs> I was keeping my mouth um, shut. <laughs> so I think one could sort of imagine taking the virtues of their software and hardware design chops and applying it in this medium that was kind of being done badly. And mm-hmm. maybe you could argue, you know, Google Glasses were done badly from the point of view of social acceptability, uh, relevant use case, uh, physical design, like the, across the board, like major shortcomings on three important pillars. So let's say Apple did all three of those things better. I can mm-hmm. see them doing better physical design. They've got all this like fashion. They have connections to fashion and they're full of tasteful designers. I can see them doing a better job with the tech. It's years later and they've, they're really good at miniaturization. They have really good low power graphics technology. But then what's the use case? <laughs> like, let's say they made a like, much better version of Google Glass. Like, why would I want to have a screen on my head you know, yeah, to walk around? Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I just wouldn't. It's not cool. What would it, what would it give me? Yeah, and what accidents would it, would it cause? I mean, you know, like the thing that is like, the I think that when Google, Google was an interesting idea, the Google Glass, right? It was an interesting idea, but as soon as people realized, hey, wait a minute, you're filming me when you've got those things on, uh, that's when there was a backlash against, you know, the privacy aspect of it. Of the, yeah, which is totally, you know, may, maybe it's easy to predict in retrospect, but it seems totally predictable. Like, But now oh, we're running way, around video- videoing everything, right? You know? Well, there's a difference though. Like if you hold up a device, it's clear you're video recording and then there 
your right. social norms and expectations that come into place. And someone might say like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that here because this is a comedy club or this is a, a changing room or whatever. But if you just like, if you like walked around all day video recording every conversation you had without and being kind of discreet about it so people didn't know you were doing it, but then they noticed, people would think you were weird. That's a weird piece of behavior. That's not normal. They would think, how can I have a private discussion? Like, the, this is everything on the record? That's just not that's not a, not something that most people, human beings have an appetite to do. So mm-hmm, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that at that backlash, and I don't think anyone who was, I don't know, retrospect is, hindsight's always 2020. I'm just, I'm just a guy sitting here talking in front of a microphone. But it's not totally surprising that that, that, that was something that had blowback. But you're excited about the sensors they're putting into the devices that you were saying, I'm, right? I am, I'm quite interested. So we, uh, at Topology, we have our own computer vision stack that we use to reconstruct the 3D shape of a person's face and head so that we can make custom glasses. But we're transitioning to really relying on the depth sensors because we found that we can make better product that way because the depth right. sensors are dedicated devices for sensing depth. And so you can make a 3D model that's a bit more accurate. Um, and we've been also doing a lot of work looking at the depth sensors on the new iPads, not these imaginary ones that are going to come out, but the ones that exist right now because mm. we're um, going to be, I think it's been announced publicly, so I can say, but we're going to be launching into retail uh, pretty soon and uh, in, in weeks, not months. Like, And in retail, we're going to be using iPads, not iPhones, and we're going to be using it in concert with uh, optics professionals. And we're using these iPad Pros because they have a nice big screen and they also have the depth sensor. So I'm actually quite acquainted with what you can and can't do with the front-facing depth sensor on an iPad Pro. And right. Oh, okay, right. One thing that struck me reading this, first of all, it's the rear sensor, which sounds like it's more useful for kind of gaming and room and spatial experiences rather than mm-hmm. the uh, rather than the face. So that's a bit of a bummer. But I noticed that they mentioned in the article the possibility they'd be using time of flight technology instead of um, structured light technology. And the the difference is the, described in the article, but basically structured light, you're projecting a particular pattern of dots of lights onto the face. And then, and then there's another camera that's looking to see where the dots are. And from that, it infers the shape of your face. And uh, time of flight uh, works differently. And I think provides better resolution. So the depth sensing image that you get from a front-facing depth sensor on an iOS device is not a very high resolution image spatially. Like it gives you depth information that you didn't have, but it's like 300 by 400. It's not nearly as high res as the as the camera image. Um, so if, if Apple is investing in more better miniaturized depth sensor technology, that's very interesting to me because it means we can get better results. And I found that the depth sensors in the iPad Pros are not as accurate as you'd like them to be. They vary depending on the device. So you, mm. you get a device, if you want to be super accurate with your depth sensing, you need to write an application that looks at the data you get from the depth sensor and calibrates that device. Right. Um, so, you know, that's probably going to be true with lots of technologies, and it's, that's not a big surprise. Like, this is just what you do when you want to do a really good job at um, measurement, which is what we do. But it's nice to see that, uh, for whatever reason, reasons we all still perhaps don't understand, Apple is putting resources into making this stuff better. All will be revealed soon, I suppose. All right. Um, just a quick note here on the next item is uh, um, talking about the notification notarization that, that you have to do in your, your Apple apps. Uh, I think it's on the Mac Store, right? Um, Apple is uh, re- temporarily relaxing the requirements on that, I guess, to ease the transition for people. Uh, that's pretty much what the article says. 
because um, I guess uh, they want to make sure that uh, people get get adopted into this um, uh, new notarization thing, and uh, we'll talk a bit about that later, a little bit later. But um, yeah, that's just a quick uh, quick hit on that one. I think unless somebody has something to add, sounds. I'm not really familiar with how restrictive it's going to be. I kind of just naively assume that there's always a way as a sophisticated user you can opt out of notarization mm-hmm. requirements, and just run a binary you downloaded. Like, please God, tell me that's not going away. Yeah, I mean that's that's the whole whole idea is that the, well yeah that's what you mean like yeah like you just sort of yeah okay whatever I, I'm not really that concerned about it but yeah this is the whole idea of, of you know vetting that the, the app is created by the, the the vendor that Apple is selling through the app store right but I don't think they're blocking we'll talk about this a little bit later that they're not blocking you from selling apps directly yourself um, on the Mac store right Mac app store well this wouldn't block that it would just say that if you want to sell if it's if it's really store. strict yeah. it, if you want to sell any anywhere even outside the app store, uh, then you would have to get your app notarized, which basically it's just digitally right. signed. So so the user knows that it's a Apple uh, approved, not approved, approved is too strong a word, but Apple vetted uh, mm-hmm. app. Would you really have to have to? Like, can't the well, user just opt out? Yeah, of that, 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 that's the big question. Uh, in, in practice, you know, if, if I have my own machine and I want to take someone's unsecure, insecure code and, and, and take the risk uh, for whatever reason, then it I mean, seems it's like I computer. ought to be able to do that. Right, right. Like, I'm, I mean, not to go full, like, uh, full, like, GPL, like, flying the freedom flag, but it's, it's my computer. If I want to run these this, these bytes that I downloaded, I should be able to. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Seems like it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not even a computer anymore. It's like something else. Like it's like a video game platform or something. Yeah. Well, it's something, something right. much less flexible. But, I mean, the, the point is for for developers who, are, who want to get into this, this game, Apple is lifting the restriction because it says here, like on the tin, that if it's not notarized by Apple, it won't run on Catalina, for instance, right? Um, but because that says, yeah, for apps outside the Mac Store, Mac App Store, Mac OS Catalina will only run notarized software. So this is for outside of the Apple Apple right. ecosystem, right? But but this article yeah. is implying that you you do need to be notarized no matter what. Yeah, uh, yeah. they're just they're, the article is just saying they're they're making it a little bit easier to get notarized. But right. You still have to be notarized. So yeah, it's, it, but it, it it is a it's a it's a valid question of you know what if I want to run software that's not notarized? It's my computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all comes down mm-hmm. to what you really mean by have to. If you mean the developers really really have to do it because the users have no way to say I don't care about notarization, just run it. That strikes me as uh, very sad. And I guess I a little bit heavy handed. Realize yeah. some disastrous yeah. thing like that is coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like I just think it worked. Like we ship all these little apps that are used internally for. Uh, um, doing face registration, doing glasses fitting, doing data processing. Like, what's the idea? Like, in the future, you write a shell script, but then you can't run your shell script until you notarize it? Because that's what you're saying, right? Like, the shell mm-hmm. script is right. executable. Like, I can't right. run executables. Like, that, that's bonkers. Right? <laughs> I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Or anything yeah. that you install with Homebrew or 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 uh, yeah. something like that has to be notarized. Or something you download yourself and build it yourself. Exactly. Well, presumably, if you build do it make, yourself. Do the make, I mean. Do the make, I mean. Yeah, but if but if you're building it with Xcode as a developer, or even just with a, running a makefile uh, command line, mm-hmm. I would think that it would be not covered by this. Because otherwise, how do you develop anything, right? If I mean, if you have to every time you make you want to make a new app, you want to run it on your right, true, on your in, in Xcode. Do you have to get it notarized before you start building it? That that seems kind of crazy. I just yeah. think about the way uh, OS 10 
one of the points that was originally helpful in its marketing when it was just trying to establish itself was the idea that there was Unix underneath. Yeah. yeah. Right? You don't have Unix underneath if you can't compile and run a binary. You just don't. Like, you, you've got some other thing that was is derived from Unix, but you've created an alternative kind of computing environment. Um, I don't know. I don't think, feel like, I don't feel like I have anything intelligent to say here, because it, it's sort of news to me that they actually could be planning something so horrifying as the user has no way to just... Well, they did talk about this notarization thing either last year or this year, but... Um, and Apple, you know, just, just on, the, on the whole thing about Unix underneath, is Apple has always taken, like, they, they base themselves off of BSD Unix, but they do change yeah. the behavior. They they write their own bits for permission as well that, that you know, are, are invisible to most users. And all right? the system integrity sure. protection stuff is yeah, consistent. Stuff, with, yeah. I don't think, yeah. I think is, is uh, Mac OS even POSIX compliant anymore? It used to be. Like, I know there's a yeah. certification process and there's a big, you know, gigantic, complicated document describing all the things that need to work in exactly the right way for all the command line shell scripts and whatnot. Yeah. Right. I have a feeling it's not exactly anymore because I, I did go through all the certification courses in, over the years and I do remember at one point they were talking about. They do mention POSIX a lot, but but I think they're more towards this, this SIP thing with the gate, you know, gatekeeper and and this notarization is just another level on top of that, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't mean to bring everybody down, but you know. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm probably just overreacting because I haven't had a Popeye chicken sandwich yet, so you know. Yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> yeah. Wait till I get wait till you get to my 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 pick, and we'll we'll get back into this discussion. I'm sure. Um. All right. So the next thing is we talked about iPhone SE was discontinued, and it looks like uh, according to this article here that uh, published yesterday that, that there is a prediction that a new low-cost iPhone is coming in the future, probably 2020. Um, and I think something like 399 I saw a number go by earlier today. Is that right? Yeah, the interesting thing yeah. is the the article is saying that it won't actually be in the SE form factor. It'll be more like a mm. iPhone 678 form factor. Right, right. Which I don't I don't know if there's a real screaming desire for that in the in the world. No, I, most of the people I know who have SEs like the fact that it's the, the it's a little smaller, smaller for yeah. screen, right? Yeah. Touch ID or Face ID would be my question. Like, are they trying to go all in on Face ID or are they going to keep Touch ID around for lower spec models? Well, this is what we were talking about earlier is that, that there, there's also uh, um, some patent applications that talk about doing Touch ID through, like right through an OLED screen, which would make it sound like Touch ID is going to stick around. I think Mark made this point a couple of weeks ago that, that Touch ID will stick around, but Face ID may be going away, right? So, although Face wow. ID is still pretty cool. Did I make that point? That doesn't sound like something yeah. I'd say because I like yeah. Face ID, <laughs> but maybe I did. Okay, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll blame Jaime. He's not here to defend himself. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I do think a small phone with the same basic shape as the SE, with the full, you know, bezel, small bezel, full, you know, edge to edge kind of display, mm-hmm. would be a pretty mm-hmm. cool thing. I think a lot of people would like that because you get in in something with the small form factor, you'd still get a pretty reasonably good screen display area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I, I mean, the other thing to think about too is it also makes another set of sizes for us to deal with too right well if the screen yeah, size but, is different know, or ratio or been there done that you know they'll just come up with some new size classes and we'll be fine well swift ui will take care of it all right <laughs> that's true it's true it'll just run it'll even notarize yeah. for you yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need to worry about sizes if anymore. you write your swift shell UI. script in swift ui it'll automatically be notarized don't worry right. the crash is going away. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Um, oh, Alexis, you have a pick here. So, or you have something here. Yeah. Well, I noticed there was some news around USB four, which is mm-hmm. basically sounds like as, as a couple of. I read one article on it, then I read another, and the second article um, was this one, which actually was my thought reading the first article. I don't remember it was. Wait a minute. This sounds like it just means like Thunderbolt is going to be basically USB four. Right. Um, and what interests me about this is uh, I'm kind of curious how other people feel about USB C as we continue this journey down a new connector that's not uh, all perfect and mm-hmm. would there be like riots in the streets if the iPhone used USB-C connectors or would people say oh great now we can like get all this USB-C stuff I have a weird interest in it yeah for, I, I did look at this article too or looked at another article based on, on this and I kind of thought about it for a minute but um, my problem with the USB-C ports is and because because the environment that I work in we have to plug and unplug our computers all day long like you know mm-hmm. we, we have to put in different adapters and, and we, we don't leave our computers at our workstation every day and they wear out much faster than, than yeah. the display port connector did right it does seem to be um, a physically inferior connector yeah, in the sense yeah. That the, even the USB A is a much better connector than, than the USB C right yeah and lightning is lightning they, they clunk in it's satisfying they stay in yeah yeah. so maybe there's going to be some breakthrough in metallurgy or tiny springs or something and then USB C connectors will just last longer that would be great yeah. um, but I think that's probably a lot to hope for I used to work in an environment where we had the the uh, Firewire 400 connectors, and because we were using digital cameras, and they, that was the interface they used. And a lot of times, they, they just through getting constantly moved around and unplugged and plugged, they, they would break off the center portion, and then the port would be useless, right? So I don't know that that you know the the wear and tear factor has really been worked out on this stuff. Plus, the, the mm. whole, let, let's go back to the whole bag of dongles thing, right? Um, like I think in some cases we're better off having the actual port that we need, you know, whether it's an SD card reader or, or uh, you know, uh, HDMI port or what have you, right? Yeah, bring well, back MagSafe. I miss that. I don't know. I don't know. I, part of me wants to believe. Like, I'm sitting here with my uh, MacBook Pro and it has one USB-C connection going one. into it. And then that goes to a hub and that provides power and connects it to the external display and to a microphone right. and to a mouse and to Ethernet. And that's pretty cool. Um, but how so often do you unplug works, that one? That one port would scare the heck out of me because you don't have any backup, right? Based on my experience using USB-C, like I've, I've got, you know, a MacBook Pro with four of them on them, and like one of them is super flaky. Oh, really? No. Uh, yeah, because of wear and tear. The port on the on the Mac side is bad, not on the not on the cable side. Uh, in my case, yeah. No, no. I mean, well, it's USB C, so it, it's they're all all four, right? There's only no, but I mean, ports, is it right? the is it the feminine part of the connector, the part that's built into the Mac, or is it the cable itself that's that's bad? I believe the it's the part, part that's the I, I believe it's the mm-hmm. one in the Mac because I tend to use that board a lot. So one of the, the the furthest one away on the on the left hand side is what I tend to plug everything in. Don't jinx me, man. That's oh. the exact one I was just talking about. I'm staring at it right now. I know. That's why, that's why the Mac, the MacBook itself with the one USB port scares yeah. the heck out of me. Yeah. Oh, well, that, yeah. That, well, just having a, if it doesn't work, that's going to be a problem. But yeah. if the new iPhone came out with USB-C, would you guys mm. rejoice and think like, great, now I can carry around one cable and use it to charge my laptop and sync to my iPhone and charge my iPhone and I have one power brick? Um, mm. Or would you think, well, this is annoying. Why do they keep changing things? <laughs> yeah, it, it would definitely be convenient because so many other things now are using USB-C. Like I have an iPad that uses yeah. USB-C and I got to carry around a Lightning and a USB-C cable. Now. Yeah, yeah. And and as you said, charging your, the MacBook itself um, with USB-C and it's, it's yet another cable for that. I guess you can use the iPad cable for that. But uh, so 
so so in that point from that point of view in that sense it, it would be a good thing but i don't know if that's so much because it's because it's a better technology and i like that technology versus it's just they've made it a pain in the neck by having so many different ones that i'll just settle on a single one whichever one it is mm-hmm. and i think it's the mm-hmm. latter yeah so what but what does usb for promise is it faster connection more data throughput yes um, i think so I think it's so 40 yeah 40 gigabits per second um 100 watt of power so is a little better than usb god this stuff is ridiculous is hmm. better than the later version of usb 3 even though they share the same connector so this is like one of the differences i think between say a mac and a macbook pro the macbook pros actually have thunderbolt 3 connectors not um oh there's a difference only. oh yeah because so you so i have like two things that i have a crazy obsession with that i can't justify or mm-hmm. i like end up reading like technical information about it beyond my actual need one is ipv6 this is like the um yeah this is like the kind of macabre or like morbid side of my personality i just like looking at it because it's such a train wreck and you can go back on the internet <laughs> for any distance backward in time like two yeah two years back four years back five years back and see people saying like okay it's gonna happen any day we're gonna switch over you gotta get ready yeah. you really gotta do this and, yeah, when is and that happening that's that's the thing like it's never gonna happen it's gonna happen so gradually it's irrelevant and there's no reason mm-hmm. you can do anything about it anytime soon unless you're running an isp so the whole thing's kind of a joke you have all these people saying like oh my god you need to fix this right away because this is all happening mm-hmm. but actually you don't need to fix it and it's not going to happen <laughs> in any way that's <laughs> right. meaningful so so it's kind of fascinating too like just just watching the discussions it's like you're, you're seeing two completely disconnected realities just like crashing into each other um mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know it, 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 like, as i said it's a weird interest and then the other is USB-C because it's a similar kind of train wreck and it's like a bunch of like smart dedicated earnest organized well-resourced people get together and say all right let's make things better we're going to come up with one connector and you'll be able to use it for everything and everything will interoperate and then they come out with it and everyone's like it doesn't work i don't know what to buy i don't know what cable to use why are there six kinds of cables so yeah it's, exactly. it's this mismatch of like technical idealism and then just sort of hitting the rocks of reality like pretty hard um but part of me i think the reason these both these topics ipv4 and USB-C, kind of appeal to me is that i can kind of feel both sides of the argument in myself in each case like i do want the ip protocol stack to be more logical <laughs> in my heart i don't think uh-huh. we should use like nat for firewalling we should use firewalls for firewalling and we shouldn't need natting so like i kind of get the like part of me wants it but then the other part of me is like the part of me that actually ships stuff on time is like well this is ridiculous you didn't think about backward compatibility it's garbage um and and with usbc like there i'm still hopeful i still believe that it'll all come together like i don't okay there's six kinds of cables but i could imagine that being tolerable if they were just if they were just uh, color code them or something because i because i have no way of telling between a data cable and a charging cable. yeah yeah, if there were a labeling system because there's like i think it's three kinds of data maybe they can make different kind of ports never mind uh, no, it's just one kind of port. One kind of port. Six, <laughs> kind, six kinds of cables. One kind of port. Like, how? What, what could go wrong? Right. <laughs> I just say it, and it sounds like a disaster, doesn't it? Right. I can't find but, my keys. That's all that matters, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's that. That's kind of my interest in, in these things. Whenever I see little evolutions, and like, I will occasionally go to Google News and just Google USB C news. <laughs> mm, wow. <laughs> well, you find out okay. about good hubs that way. To be fair, I think there's a talk in there somewhere, Alexis. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 like. A, expression of some like unresolved like inner personality conflict there's no doubt <laughs> about it 
But Thank whenever you. someone at work has a USB-C question, I'm available with a much more authoritative answer than would be reasonable. So, you know, it has, some, has occasional upsides. Well, it's good to know. I, I know who to reach out to now if I need clarification. Yeah. All right. Anchor's making some really good USB-C product if you're looking for, like, uh, desktop chargers or, or cool. cables. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Good idea. All right. So, yeah, let's move on to our uh, the final part of our show, which is the pick section of our show, which will bring us back to the same dumpster fires we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Because my first pick here is, is a post on Twitter that I saw from Jess Squires, a uh, friend of Greg's, I believe. And um, he has introduced this app called Red Eye, which is a replacement for the old caffeine app. And what Red Eye promises to do is to keep your Mac awake. But that is not the reason why I post made this my pick. I made it my pick because he talks about developing a Mac app for the menu bar. And as he describes it, the dumpster fire that is the Mac OS uh, development. And specifically, he talks about the fact that you know his app was refu- was was rejected by the App Store, and um, because it has similar functionality with other apps, and yet he, as he as he trolls around in his in his story here, talks about he found I think he found twenty or so um, Markdown editors, which all have similar functionality, which all exist on the Apple Store. So he was a little, little annoyed about that, but uh, it does talk about the fact that he was able to, to even though his app got rejected by the Mac App Store, he was able to produce it and distribute it on his own website. For now, um, yeah. For now, yeah. Well, this is, and you see, the second reason is a duplicate functionality, but ever, but but he does talk about the fact, and he describes the Mac App Store as a uh, a dumpster fire. And his last comment here is not not safe for for this podcast, but yeah, he says it's a, it's a bunch of ducking scams. I'll just say it that way. Um, uh, apps that are on the App Store, like the, it's really frustrating that that that's that way. So I, I don't know if you guys had a chance to scan through this article or not, but and at, you know what we just talked about, notarization and all that kind of other stuff that's going to come along, but. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting read uh, hmm. this blog post about his his um, app Red Eye. I can I can only think of a couple of instances where I actually need to keep my Mac awake. Um, like I know that uh, there are sometimes when you're, when I'm installing software for some reason at the corporate building there, where that the, if the Mac goes to sleep, the download stops. So if you're downloading something like Xcode and it's going to take a few minutes to to download, um, you don't want your Mac to go to sleep in the middle of that. So I have to crank the, you know the, the wake time to like some ridiculous thing like an hour or two, right? Um, but yeah, so. It's Something like this is, would be handy, and I, I do remember looking looking around for caffeine at one point to see if uh, I can keep my Mac awake for certain reasons. But yeah, so any thoughts on the on the his diatribe here? I remember caffeine, so I'll definitely check out Red Eye. Um, <laughs> okay, it's funny. I, I think the Mac App Store, as a lot of people have observed, has been a sad story. Uh, or has had a trajectory that's a bit sad. Like I remember when it first came out, there was a point where if I was buying something, I definitely try to get it on the Mac App Store first because mm-hmm. it's very convenient to have it all in one place. And now I, that probably wouldn't be my first instinct. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm a big Mac App Store fan um, for that exact same reason. Like, like I'm a BB Edit user since way back when. Like, like even before I met Mark, I was using BB Edit, and um, and so I bought the the app when it came out on the, on the Mac App Store. And he's since pulled it out of the app. There is still a version on the App Store, and now it's a subscription based one. But I'd rather just pay the guy the money and and ha- and have the app, right? Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I struggled with that too. But uh, but but yeah, he can't you developers can't make a living on, on with the model that Apple's given us to, to distribute software and so they have to come up with their own way of dealing with you know downloading it themselves or, or hosting it themselves and, and you know having some sort of payment system or whatever. But Is that it or is it just friction? Like I feel like um, That's a number of reasons, yeah. I mean I think the, the can't make a living problem on the Mac and the can't make a living problem on the iOS app store are probably different. Mm-hmm. Right? In the sense that 
like on the iOS app store, there was this gold rush year in the distant past when mm-hmm. lots of apps would make enough to support the developer. And then that kind of gradually petered out so that most people doing iOS development are not, you know, working alone, passionately in a cafe, you know, make, making an app that is expressive of their personal ambitions and interests and then mm-hmm. supporting their life, their livelihood by people buying the app. This is not what most people are doing, even though it's a nice picture that we still remember. Mm-hmm. And people talk to why about like a lot about why this is the case. I, I, I feel like it's probably not that it's all Apple's policies. It's, a, it's an insanely competitive environment. They like produce something that makes it really easy to, you know, distribute product, which makes it very easy for competition and competition drives prices down. And so it's hard. Like, I don't think Apple themselves would know how to make money on the app store. Like, I don't think Apple yeah. produces a single iOS app that could pay for the cost of developing it if it, ha- if no, it had to compete on the not. app store with people buying it. Yeah. So if yeah. Apple couldn't do it, there's certainly not some policy change they can make that means everyone else can do it. It's just a hard thing. So it's going to be a hard thing. It's not an impossible thing, but it's going to be a hard thing. Whereas on the Mac store, um, the impression I get just from following the community is that it's easier, uh, or not easier, easy is well, never the right word to use to talk about actually making a go of this kind of thing. But the obstacles aren't so much that there's insane competition as the Mac app store just presents more friction than it's worth, you know, which is a different kind of problem. It's not like there's so much good stuff here and it's free. How can I possibly sell? Because no one wants to pay anything. It's more like, yeah, people are willing to pay, but I have to jump through all these crazy hoops and then I lose 30%. So it's not quite worth it. Well, it's also that I also think that the, 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 the market for people on Macs versus the market for people on iOS is a completely different scale, right? Like, you know, there are billions and billions of, of iPhones, but there are, you know, are, you know, millions and millions of Macs, right? So I think yeah. it's a different market. But people want to pay more. People are willing to pay more for uh True, true. App. Yeah, that's true. They're buying that's more true. pixels, as I think John Syracuse has pointed out. They feel like they're getting a better deal. Look at all these pixels I'm buying. It's big. <laughs> <laughs> and I suspect that, the, that for most people, the, the first place they look for a piece of software is, is not the Mac App Store. A piece of software for the Mac, I suspect they go do Google search for whatever it is and, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. and then just find yeah. it out on the web somewhere and buy it. Now, whether it had to be that way and could Apple have managed things differently so it isn't that way, that's that's certainly possible. But but that, but it, but I think that is where we are today. Well, I think that that also the 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 market for buying apps outside of the Apple Store obviously existed before the Mac App Store came along, and and it, I think I don't think Apple's have ever been able to capture that entire market, right? Especially mm-hmm. with all these these rules. I mean, I remember like developer signing and all that kind of stuff was was a big hurdle for Mac developers initially, right? Yeah, so that helps. Like the culture was there, the know how was there, and sandboxing was another bad. You word. had individuals who had the sense that this is something I can do. I, I see people doing it. Here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a lot of differences. It's just tough. It's tough yeah. on iOS. Yeah. Well, my second pick here is uh, just a quick note. A, a couple of weeks ago, I did a talk at SwiftEO and I opened the conference and um, they published the uh, the videos on on uh, Vimeo. But yesterday, they announced that they they've opened up a YouTube channel. They've placed the uh, the um, videos on there, and and I, I have to laugh because I mean one of the reasons was that they get free translations from or free captions from Google, and they can get do free translations, so you can translate your your talk into separate different languages from the captions. But I just had to laugh, and the reason why I brought it up here is because when I said the word more than just code, it came out as Morgan just go. <laughs> so I'm, uh-huh. and I'm debating whether we should rename the podcast Morgan just go and just le- and then you know five years from now people will wonder where the name came from. And I, I was wondering what when you posted that today, I was wondering what the hell you were talking about. 
<laughs> yeah, who's Morgan? What did he do wrong? Yeah, yeah. Or I was, her, I, was her. I was actually thinking, wait, is this some Who song that I've, that I've never heard of? Exactly. Because you saw the Who last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then I just anyway, assumed it was some Canadian politics reference that I missed. So I have played around with the with the Google translations on videos, and you can actually go into the file. You can actually go into the the studio, and you can go through and correct uh, correct the thing. I, I did a sample uh, test with uh, a conversation between Greg Heo and and Tammy and myself in a previous episode. I had like a, maybe a minute or two and snippet that I threw up on on uh, YouTube to try this out, and uh, I, I did find I was able to go through and, and actually put in the proper caption. So it is possible to correct Morgan Just Go, but I thought it was funny, so I might even call the episode Morgan Just Go. We'll have to see. Hmm. Anyway, so Alexis, you have a yeah, I have a pick, and this is not you know two months ago if you told me I would be uh, having an opinion on any app in this category or offering a pick on it, I, I would have been very surprised. But mm-hmm. um, for reasons that still aren't clear to me, I, I've suddenly got a little more interested in fitness and nutrition. Told you about my campaign to uh, keep the local Piri Piri chicken place alive, which doesn't seem to have worked. Right. Um, and I've learned about all sorts of things that my mom always tried to explain to me and I managed to completely ignore, like mm-hmm. what is a protein? What is a carbohydrate? Mm-hmm. Like which things have calories, things like that. And, and uh, as one does, if, if you're kind of iOS nerd getting into this, I immediately went looking for a, a nutrition tracking app that I could use to keep, you know, look up what is the nutritional content of different food and keep track of what I ate during the day. Mm-hmm. And I ended up looking at a few of them. My Fitness Pal is a big one that lots of people have heard of, and it's got a million features in it, and it has at least uh, 100,000 like uh, calls to action with advertising or subscriptions or whatnot. And there's also one called Calorie Counter that is a nicer UI. And then there's one that uh, of all of them struck me as having um, not j- just a really nice, clean, simple UI for doing this kind of thing. The only thing that's not great about this app is its name. Uh, it's called Fat Secret, okay. like F-A-T oh. Secret. Um, so that's not the name I would have chosen. Um, but if all you want, if you're, all you're interested in is an app that does a fairly like straightforward, well thought out like information layout for nutrition tracking, I, I'd recommend that one. Among the other th- things I like about it are when you put in different entries in the day, like my lunch, my dinner, my whatever, uh, it all shows up basically as a table. So those are rows and then information like protein and calories are the columns and you can see right away. And then at the bottom, uh-huh. it shows you the totals of the different macronutrients. And then what's, what's, what's quite cute about it is that when you're looking up a particular piece of food, like one that you've already entered or just one that you searched on, like a, an apple or a plate of grilled chicken or a Popeye chicken filet, like you guys were talking about, and you sh- and it shows you the information, it lays out the information in a way that's exactly consistent with the federally mandated nutrition facts mm-hmm. uh, labels that are on the outside of boxes. So you get used to that layout. It makes a lot of sense. It's like the same typeface, the same organization, you know where to look to see the different numbers. It's just really well done. And I appreciated it as a, as a nice piece of uh, app design and user interface design. It's called Fat Secret. Fat Secret. So curiously, um, I have an app that I've been using for years and it was because I was using it for calorie tracking and weight loss and that kind of stuff. It's called Lose It. Lose It. And right. yeah, there's a subscription for it, which I've never, never bought into, but I've been using this since like, you know, since probably since I had my iPhone. Um, and I've recently had a, a situation where I have to keep track of carbohydrates, right? Mm-hmm. And it's surprisingly lacking in terms of information of what, what carbohydrates are. And, and I had, I went to a, like my fifth or sixth nutritionalist who told me that, you know, even a banana has carbohydrates, which you wouldn't think about, right? Anything that has sugars in it, it turns into carbohydrate, right? But um, what I like about Lose It is it actually has a barcode scanner. So you can scan the barcode on the side of the package. And, and because it's been around for a while, I think people have put in um, stuff. Like, so it'll actually bring up, you can put in your, your, you can probably put in your Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich and it'll give yeah. you the breakdown of what, what the standard, you know, 
what your Big Mac or equivalent is, right? Um, people put that in a lot of, but a lot of people just you know if they're putting in their own information, they stop at calories. They don't necessarily get into the carbohydrates and stuff like that. But right. uh, but I am able to go in and create my own custom foods. But but nine times out of ten, I scan the barcode and the product just shows up in the app, and and that's great too. So uh, and then you yeah. know, yeah. Then I, I recommend I recommend deal. not doing that for the Popeyes chicken sandwich because you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we it's all you know everything's follow up on this show, and we can go back to the Beyond Meat Burger, which we've talked about in the past. Yeah. And, and Mark yeah. pointed out when we first talked about it that it actually isn't as even though it's not meat per se, and we're reducing methane by not eating meat, it doesn't necessarily have it's it's good, it's but not exactly it has, good for you. Yeah, it's not exactly good for you because of the sort of if you look at the carbohydrate and all that kind of stuff. It's and it's, sodium. It's almost sodium's through the roof. A lot of sodium in it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, and and it's funny because there was a couple of articles that came out recently saying exactly that thing, Mark. That that uh, yeah, yeah. That it ain't as good as it as it looks on the on the tin. So so I also looked at lose it actually when I was doing my little yeah. review mm-hmm. of uh, trackers. It, it did seem to be a, a pretty good one as well. I think mm. almost all of them have this barcode scanning feature. But the thing I oh, don't cool. know is if they're all drawing from the same database and which app has the higher quality database. Um, yeah, like I said, I think in my case, a lot of the stuff has been but in been put in by people. But like if you if you scan the barcode, it actually it actually will go to the it's I think it's going to the the company and getting their information off that you know the mandated nutritional tracking thing which isn't necess- I think it's we have them on our stuff here in Canada but I don't know if they're necessarily mandated the way they are in the states right it's good for branded stuff but it's it's not as good if you want to say say well I've eaten an egg or I've, re- I've eaten you know some raspberries yeah and you kind well, of this, want- this actually this actually does have that breakdown but and um, I know that if you if you go to like a lot of websites now have nutritional information like if you want to find out what that Taco Bell thing is you can probably go to Taco Bell's website and it'll give you the nutritional breakdown but uh, you know and because I, I think you know in most cases with with franchise food it's generally the same stuff right that goes in yeah no I think if, if it's like a branded restaurant so there's like an area for that and and the nice thing about fat secret not to go on about it too long but just to talk about nice features is it gives you a lot of flexibility in describing the amount so if you have raspberries you can say like one cup or you can say like 100 grams so it's very flexible and easy to just like enter what you want and, and get on with it yeah so when it comes to tracking food like that I, I do it to the point where I understand what's going on with the food and then I stop yeah tracking. I think I think that makes a lot of sense I, I mean if you think about it that way the app hasn't failed it's succeeded in teaching you something yeah and i think yeah probably sure. a lot of these health tracker devices maybe the apple watch also are examples of that they sense they sensitize you to stuff that you weren't as aware of before like how many calories are in this versus that right what right. constitutes a day where i'm walking what constitutes a day where i'm sitting around and the fact that the device goes in the drawer afterwards isn't bad it's like training wheels it like taught you something that now you don't need it for yeah well i mean like i pay every time i pick up something in the store i, I look at the the nutritional facts on the side and I decide whether or not I can ha- I can afford like, like I have a budget of how many carbohydrates I can have per meal right so mm. so I look at that and determine whether or not you know is it worthwhile having this bag of chips which is half my budget you know sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah fat secret yeah. and I think some of the others but I know fat secret as well it lets you set I think targets for the macronutrients you can say I want this many oh, carbs cool. yeah, day, yeah, yeah. this many this much protein per day this much overall calorie I want this ratio yeah. and then it gives you a graphic visualization of where you are so far in the day where there's a grid of little squares Mm-hmm. And the squares get filled in with different colors depending on which macronutrient you're farther into. So you can see, like, there's this much to go. Anyway, I, I don't know. I, I feel a little odd talking about it. I feel, I feel like for years I used to find these discussions really tedious because I had no interest in yeah. and fitness and nutrition. But now, like, suddenly in the last, like, two months, I've been, like, making up for lost time. And now I've, like, <laughs> learned all these things. And, and, and so my, my wife is like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. <laughs> don't tell me about.
about your how, how many pounds you can like squat at the gym. I, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> my next step will be trying to find a good app for tracking weightlifting. Does this have in-app purchases or a subscription or something like that? Or I think there is a subscription, but they're not always hassling you about it. Right, it's not okay. like my fitness pal. I feel like that's just a. Uh, it's like walking into. A, uh, it's like walking into a carnival. There's like a you know someone at every corner trying to sell you something. Yeah, well, I admit, it's just cluttered. It does, every time I open lose it, it asks me to, to subscribe. But you know, well, I kind of feel like subscribing to Fat Secret just to support them, not because I need the yeah, additional features. Yeah. Like I happily pay just to make sure that it keeps you know to help support keeps going. them yeah, having an app that keeps working in a like simple, coherent, well thought out way, rather than them dumping ads into it in order to support. I remember we used to work. make phone calls on our phones. Yeah, it was really today. <laughs> I was actually trying to find out if if a new potential new chicken place took took, took Apple Pay because I forgot my wallet today. <laughs> Just like oh, I was yeah. saying I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. So I guess that's it for the week. So Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they reach you? Mark R at snapsoft.com. All right. And Alexis, if people want to get in touch with you? Uh, Alexis at alexisgallagher.com or I'm on Twitter at alexisgallagher. Now, you, you did say before that last year when you were on the show that email isn't the best way to get a hold of you, right? That's true. Twitter is probably a smarter bet. <laughs> I haven't set up my dollar box yet, but when I do, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be publicizing that address that's as well. Dollar box. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Um, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And so until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. And thus ends another episode of More Than Just Code. This is friend of the show, Katie. And another friend, Jesse. We hope that you enjoy the show as much as we do, including the parts about code. And also the parts about more than code. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode, with links to the items talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please rate a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. The show is also on Twitter and Facebook, the Twitter account being MTJC underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. That's what we do. Thanks for listening with us. Let's either have the same amount of fun or more next time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the actual AR stuff turns into. Hmm? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Maybe my uh, crazy incoherent prediction that all the AR features in the devices actually work in concert with the glasses will end up marking me as an amazing seer or, or an amazing fool. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Alexis, now that you've had months to cool off um, from WWDC, what do you think about Swift UI and Combine now? Um, I haven't been using it. I hope, to, I hope we could use it for this project I'm on right now, but that's turned it into a lot of interaction with the depth sensor. Mm-hmm. So I'm still very interested in it, but I also feel like I mean I, I don't know. I, I want to see it, I want to see it for I want to see it. I want to like really try to push it into a hard project first. But I, I do have, mm-hmm. feel like this initial sense of it makes it so easy was because it was like little demo projects that it was making it easy yeah. for. Yeah, it does yeah. seem a little bit lightweight. I think that's what most people are saying, right? Until there's so, a collection you know, view, it's not really useful in my mind. Like a proper collection view? Because the, the boys over at uh, Objects, 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 CIO had come up with a way of doing it last week. Oh, yeah.
I hadn't looked into it yet, but yeah, yeah they were okay. talking about it. Yeah. No, on the one hand, it doesn't seem like it's much, but then on the other hand, I think about an experience I had uh, at work over, I don't know, about a week or two ago, where I was helping someone who's uh, a little less experienced setting up a relatively complex view controller and just explaining MVC, like, no, 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 this doesn't <laughs> need to be so complicated. Just create a property here, which will hold the model state. And you can even call it state or the model value. And then just add a did set property observer on it. And then whenever the model view or the model value changes, just make sure you update the UI subviews. And this view controller should only expose the model value to the outside. So other things that want to initialize it, just set that. They don't know about the subviews. They shouldn't be able to see the subviews. Um, and then explaining that it's the same principle for components. Like maybe one of the components that you're using in this view controller or this view hierarchy is something like a map view controller. On the outside, you just give it coordinates. On the inside, it's doing incredibly complicated things with graphics rendering and an entire like cloud infrastructure of like map tiles and satellite gathered information and whatnot. But from the outside, you just set this model value and then it updates the views. And the fact that I had to, the fact that it was valuable for me to explain this basic pattern, even to someone who's, you know, knows what they're doing, has been doing this for a while, but has kind of missed some of the subtleties of it, mm-hmm. um, I think illustrates the value of Swift UI. It's not that it necessarily that it is, you know, now doing something you couldn't do already, but it's making very clear guide rails for how to do things in more or less the right way. Like yeah, the, the, right, the idea right. that you should have a property that holds your model value and then the, the visual appearance just reflects updates in the model, I guess is something I've learned to take for granted and just have as an instinct for how I put everything together. But mm-hmm. if you don't, haven't, if you haven't already learned that, there's nothing in UI kit and there's nothing in Apple's documentation that really hammers it into your head in the way it should be hammered in there. But with right. SwiftUI, it's it's obvious, right? There's a big old thing saying at state or whatever it is, you know, so they're kind of mm-hmm. forcing you down the right defaults. That's probably a lot of the value, especially for people starting out. Right, right. Property, property uh, wrappers are cool. I have gotten a little bit more into those. So I think the way they're used in SwiftUI is not so scary. I think there's going to be a lot of use for them. Hopefully the whole language doesn't turn into like a swamp of property wrappers, but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago, that it's starting to look like it is going in that direction, starting to look more like Java. Well, so, I mean, yeah, certainly we'll the optical resemblance is there, right? Doesn't Python yeah. also use ampersands for decorators? Yes, Python and, does, yeah. yeah. And, and then Java added all this uh, metadata through, I forget what the syntax is. Is it ampersands yeah. there too? Uh, actually, I don't, I don't even know. I, I stay away from, as far away from Java as possible. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been, I haven't been in that neighborhood in a while. Yeah. It's kind of like languages add the ampersand when they feel like they've hit the limit of the original yeah, language yeah. design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Swift is a complicated language. I don't think we can deny that. And it's probably going to get a bit more complicated before it really stabilizes. But I enjoy it. I, I think I'd rather certainly be writing Swift than writing C++. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I still like Objective-C, though. Yeah, I haven't used it lately, so I don't know if, uh, yeah. I don't know what my experience would be. I like the fact that you can use Swift UI on, not Swift UI, but use Swift on Linux. Mm. And how terse some simple things can be. Like if you just want to like create a text file that has a bunch of Swift code and run it, you can do it. I mean, until notarization stops us, of course. Right, right. So I went and saw The Who yesterday, got them off my bucket list. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. They're still performing? You know, it's funny. It was, yeah, it was worth it from the point of view of getting them off my bucket list. I mean, they're not quite to the to the age where they're not worth seeing. They're, I mean, Pete Townsend's still an amazing guitarist and stuff, but um, he brought an orchestra, which I'm never really a big fan of, because it kind of tames the show a bit, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the orchestra has to go to bed at a prescribed time, so you kind of get a shorter show that way. 
But I mean, they, they they sort of hit all the hits. They, my one, I mean, semi disappointed. They played "Won't Get Fooled Again" acoustically, so hmm. you know, kind of nice to see that. But I really wanted to see them, you know, pull the stops out on that song, right? But, so is uh, "Won't Get Fooled Again" from Tommy, or is that from a different? No, album? it's from uh, "Who's Next," okay, which, which I think was the was the album after Tommy, or a couple of albums after Tommy. But yeah, anyway, so I, I had and the thing is, I had great seats. I had like hmm. I, I got an aisle seat on the floor. Like I had better seats. I had cheaper seats before, but Jonathan couldn't come, so. I sold those two and, and bought myself a better seat on the aisle side. Nobody, in, pre- pre- theoretically, nobody in front of me, right? And I was probably about fifty feet away from the stage. Um, yeah, it was, it was a hockey arena, so I was at center ice. And and um, but the problem is, as soon as this, they come on, that some big giant guy comes in front of me and stands the whole show. Wow! Right? And he's a bobber, like he bobs back and forth. So yeah, like, that's I annoying. can't. Would I you can't prefer win. if he was really tall but immobile rather than a bobber? Because bobber, at least you can sort of sneak in to get. Like a, a view now and then, but if he's immobile, you can adjust and and uh, you don't have to keep. That's moving. true. Yeah. And well, I'm in the aisle, so I could step out into the aisle half a step. Or the, actually, there was nobody. The seat beside me wasn't sold, so I kind of had my my way. But I mean, this guy was like he was a swear. Like he he was swaying a good two three feet at a time. So like every mm. like every beat of the music was really annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I you know I, so I had to pull you have to pull your camera out and you have to film it so you can watch it later and enjoy the show later. You know, like re, you know because you can't see it you know so that's super annoying but yeah, that, it, it, yeah. I mean, and it's just sort of it's become a thing with concerts with me is like every every concert i've gone to in the last you know little while i've had some big giant head in front of me and it's like why why am i paying all this money for you know for these lousy arenas where they, they're not designed for like they don't have theaters what, what you should where, do you know, what you should do tim is hire a very short man and then buy a ticket yeah. for him right in front of you yeah you know he could just be there and uh i don't know he could even like wear some kind of special hat or something Thing that would just like focus your view and provide you a nice frame or something just to like block people from the side or something yeah yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a yeah. good thing well that, that makes the ticket price go up more though or like that's, that's true problem. That's true. Well, so, you know. so I saw the Who on their retirement tour back in 1989. Well, I thought this was the retirement tour. <laughs> well, think about that. No, actually, yeah. you, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't actually because I was working in a bar in 1983, and yeah. they did their first retirement concert in Toronto, and it was simulcast on the radio and television at the same time. I was working that night, so yeah. I had it on the TV and I had it on the on the stereo. Um, yeah, and I, and I and it's one of the it's one of those things like every time the Who comes by. I'm like you guys retired in '83. What are you doing? Well, on the yeah, stage, exactly. Right? Yeah, so so the, the I like to say that the the retirement tour was the one before they had the we ran out of money, so we came out of retirement tour. Yeah, which was the next that one. Is true, but I, but I think that's true. pretty much every every tour. Who? Yeah. But this yeah. one was in a giant football stadium, outdoor show. Oh, back east, yeah. and it and it, it just it was really underwhelming. Partly it was because. The seats I had were just so far away; you couldn't even see the stage, yeah. couldn't see anything. This is, this is such an issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It took me a while to figure out that you pay a lot more for seats up front because it makes a huge difference. Uh, oh yes, yeah. uh, it really does. Yeah. I was in New York a few years ago, and actually, uh, my my boss had a friend, and he very kindly offered, like, "Hey, do you want tickets for Hamilton?" And I was like, "Well, I guess I'm in New York, you know, they're discounted." Yeah. I was like, "Discounted?" And he told me the discounted price. I'm like, "Well, that's still a lot, but okay." And so I, I kind of went with low expectations because I. Had 
had, to be honest, no particular interest in American history or hip hop or, you know, um, or musical, musical theater. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but this was probably the ideal way to see it because I show up I, with these tickets that are in like the second or third row with no special interest or knowledge of it. And then I was just blown away. I was like, this is amazing. This is the most, one of the yeah. most powerful theatrical mm. experiences I've, I've ever had. And I now I probably, you know, know almost all the lyrics in the album. I've heard it a million times. My kids know it. But I think if I had been, you know, having that whole experience from the other end of the room, like kind of straining to see little people in the distance, it wouldn't yeah. have been the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on how big it is. I mean, I've seen like most of, most of the theaters where they do theater, theatrical musicals or whatever, they're not that big, right? They're probably like, you know, 500 to 1,000 people can fit in those. And, and I've seen a lot of musical theater when I was a kid, right? But I mean, my, my the last bunch of things I've seen in the last 15 years is like spam a lot. I saw that come from away thing with my family last year. And Carol and I went and saw The Last Ship, which, which starred Sting, right? But he dies halfway through. Spoilers, you know? So his character dies halfway through. So yeah, so if you're there to see Sting and, you know, it is Sting's music and all that kind of stuff and all reworked for the, the play. But yeah, it was interesting. So yeah. I mean, actually, I was, I was supposed to be a theater major, but I went into, they, they scheduled my, in grade 12, they scheduled art and theater at the, in the same hour. And it was like, what? That's not so fair. To, I know. So we had to fork and choose one one row or the other. So I went I went the visual art route, right? Hmm. So Maybe this was their way of forcing you to like do math in the other period or something. Because if they just did like... That's true. That's true. Know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I was, but I was, I was painting sets and I was doing production, stage production. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And I probably would have, you know, loved it as a career. But hmm. being backstage, which is why I produce a podcast for one thing, as an example. Well, producing a podcast, you're, you're on the stage. Yeah. But, but by the same token, I build, I build apps because there's a lot of backstage stuff happens on in the apps, right? We all have to do all that prep work for everything. Yeah. All right, folks, I got to run because it's like getting close to midnight up here. All righty. Uh, like that, yeah. All thanks right. Thanks for coming out. We'll talk yeah. to you. Alexis, it was a pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Have a good night, guys. Okay, good night. Okay. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.